listening to Down on High, where two millennial musicians talk about the cultural products that shape them. Today we are talking about two records from singer-songwriter M. Ward, 2005's Transistor, Transistor Radio and 2006's Postwar. M. Ward, probably most known for his work in the duo She and Him with actress Zoe Deschanel, uh, was also a part of the supergroup with Connor Ober's Monsters of Folk. Greg, what is this? What does it sound like? And when did you first hear M. Ward? The first time I heard M. Ward was, um, well, I had to seek him out because I'd listened to, I think it's called Noise Floor, a collection of rarities from Bright Eyes. Uh, it's full of a bunch of B-sides that I know you like, like uh, Drunk Catholic Kid and... Um, the the one uh, I, I know the songs, but the one about like parachute strings and whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great collection of B sides. Uh, pre, um, I'm wide awake. It's morning, uh, so it's sort of in there. Uh, more angst than poetic depression. Uh, and one of the songs on that was uh called Seashell Tail. I thought it was. Uh, an original by Connor Oberst, uh, and it was one of my favorites on that B-side album, um, but it was uh, actually M. Ward. So um, I checked out M. Ward for a little bit, um, and then uh, through that song, and, and I liked what I heard. It had been a while, uh, and then I heard another cover from uh, an Australian singer-songwriter named Malenka. She did... Uh, song vincent o'brien um which uh which i really like and it's a, it's a song i covered uh and so then i again rediscovered him uh in his own he is uh sort of a folksy artist he has this sort of like old soul voice to him uh but it's like really airy uh and um i don't know uh uh, un- very uh, ASMR uh, yeah. quality. Yeah, like very unoffensive ASMR. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and then what uh, made me take a third look at him, as you mentioned, was when he was in She and Him. Uh, around this time, there was uh, an, an album and a single by Scarlett Johansson and Pete Yorn uh, called The Relator. I like that one song, but uh, the album apparently was god-awful. And I think that it was a response to She and Him because Zoe Deschanel, also an actress, and M. Ward, a folk artist, somewhat like Pete Yorn, but obviously much better in my opinion, uh, sort of set, you know, kind of invited maybe maybe a, a trend that just never took off. Um, so yeah, She and Him had the jazzy vocals. Uh, he had his own folksy career. And uh, the fourth and final uh, look that I took... Um, and I said I really have to listen through them. Is when there was the Monsters of Folk album, which was Connor Oberst, M. Ward, and the guy Jim James from Yola Tango, Tango Yola Tango. I'm not sure. Yep. Um, 
and uh, Mike Mogus, the songwriting and guitar partner in Bright Eyes. Uh, the four of them uh, had the Monsters of Folk album that I think is uh, about as perfect as it can get. So I am more familiar when I listen to M. Ward specifically with the albums um, like something like End of War and Transfiguration of Vincent. Earlier record. Right. Yeah. Because uh, those had Seashell Tale and some of the other covers and interesting songs I heard from other people that brought me back to them. Um, that's, that's my my history. And now, suggesting it to you as a possible episode because we want to do something a little bit more obscure, uh, we're listening to, to these two albums, which uh, I think took a little bit more ground, probably because it lined up better with uh, She and Him and then also... Um, maybe more, were more critically appreciated? Uh, much like you, I think it was either a sad, sad song or Vincent O'Brien was my first exposure to this, other than Monsters of Folk, which it never really registered to me who, who anyone in that group was other, other than Connor Oberst. But this guy sort of existed as a Connor Oberst acolyte, famously Connor Oberst. Uh, shouted out M. Ward for president during a television performance of the president talks to God. Mm. So I was familiar with the name and I knew, I think Vincent O'Brien and I think that was it. Uh, so coming in pretty cold here, I did know that um, post-war has quite the reputation as being a classic album. Uh, there are other podcasters, other commentators, other writers who've commented on this record in the years since at least that, record really holds up uh so digging into transistor radio this is largely an album of uh coffee house style folk uh there is around the edges there is some light light uh accompaniment um to varying degrees a little bit of trap set drumming a uh, little bit of pedal steel or key keyboard around the edges but it mostly relies on the quality of his voice um, the poignancy of his lyric writing and his, and his guitar playing, both finger-picked and strummed. Uh, one of the cuts that I think stood out a little bit just uh, coming to this record for the first time was the track Hi-Fi. Mm. This was uh, one of the tracks on the record that ha had a more ambitious arrangement. It has kind of a synth, synth line, which is pretty remarkable for this record. Uh, it has some sort of muted drums. Uh, it has a sort of a sensual, almost romantic tone. Um, we're getting, we're getting a, something here that we get on a lot of the record, which is sort of a very close mic'd voice. At various points in the record, he double tracks his voice and it sounds like, it sounds like he's whispering in your ear. Um, it's, it, it's so close mic'd. Um, he does a, a few little uh, production tricks with little echoes on his voice. He does a few falsetto notes. Um, he throws a telephone or a, a sort of, you know, degraded sound to his vocals towards the end of the cut. And uh, I think as far as the subject matter, uh, the lines, so let me turn the volume up to get a little bit more hi-fi, drown out all the sirens in the background, the back of my mind. Honestly, I'm not sure exactly why, but the way he was singing some of the lines in the song, it sounded pretty sensual or sexual. Hmm. Uh, so I wasn't sure if if we were looking at some kind of metaphor here, but that's how it came off. To 
the song is kind of interesting because like it, it, it's gonna sound a little bit silly but it, it has sort of like a margaritaville vibe it's like a yeah. l- little bit tropical yeah. uh sound i don't know it's just like it sounds like relaxing on the beach and i don't know having my ties or some shit um but uh yeah i uh, i think um i think the song is uh sort of like proto mac uh or uh not mac, mac demarco mac demarco yes uh that's that's what really struck me when i was listening to this i i don't know that like a mac demarco uh probably has this as an influence per se but uh, for people who are more, you know, who might be more familiar with Mac DeMarco, uh, uh, that's kind of how it vibes. It has that easygoing feeling with like um, a, where the lyrics might have angst, but not necessarily the vocal delivery or the chimey guitars and washed out reverb and and uh, sort of a record wobble to it. Um, did you get that same impression as well? That sort of like easy living um, set, salad days type thing? There are a lot of points on this record, and maybe this is one of them where, despite whatever feelings of alienation or disaffectedness is being described in the lyrics, uh, it all kind of comes through kind of Starbucksy, mm. um, kind of warm, kind of intimate, um, sweet sounding. A lot of the music is pretty sweet. That sounds like a like um, a gentler way to say slight. Do, do you find it to be? A little bit, quite thin. a bit of it on this one. I do, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think there's something refreshing about listening to music where it it's not a puzzle to unspool what's going on there. Like the elements are sort of straightforward. Um, it's not hard to figure out what he's what the what the instruments are doing. It's not hard to parse the lyrics in most places. Um, but. I will say, uh, despite a few uh, curveballs here, um, uh, which I do believe this is one of them. This does seem to have more of a pop feel to it than some of the other ones. I think there there is quite a bit of stuff on here that it, it can't help but feel a little samey after a while, after getting so many finger-pick guitar kind of things and strum guitar chords. Um, you know, uh, I think one of the better examples that's pretty representative of what the record's about would be a song like Fuel for Fire. Um, it's got a kind of uh, a lonely, kind of fragile, kind of sad tone to it. And it seems to be about a so- social isolation. Just a, a, a character that he's in- invented or embodied that it, it is kind of on their own and sort of longing for love, uh, but are, are stuck with 45s. Got 45s to play at night, got books to spend on every weekend. Story's always the same. Got lonesome fuel for fire. Fuel for fire, a bitter ending, till a sweet, sweet death. Fuel for fire, a sour note inside, an orchestra wail. Fuel for fire, uncomfortable poses between the famous last words. Fuel for fire, a missing person in a small, small world. Um, I really dig the 1920s style uh, Tin Pan Alley strings that he puts on it. Uh, and I did get some kind of shades of like early Tom Waits, something like Old 55 or Martha. Uh, I, I think as far as this kind of song on the record, I think it it's one of the better examples. I think the lyrics are pretty great. 
did, yeah. did this one do much for you? Yeah, and I, I, I think so. The, so far, the two songs that we're talking about, I think Mark is some of the most played from this album. Uh, so oh, I, really? I, yeah, I think, which I always just find interesting when looking at what uh, the top plays of uh, of these albums are. Um, I, I liked uh, I, I like Feel for Fire quite a bit because it reminded me a lot of Seashell Tale, which was like my introduction and in, and in what it. Uh, uh, and how I know M Ward. <clears throat> what I think is especially interesting is like when we talk about um, other songs feeling maybe slight and a little bit thin and Starbucksy, as you put it. Uh, this song is even more stripped back, yet seems to be served by uh, a, a pretty limited production. Uh, would would you say like? I, it's hard to dress this stuff up in different ways, and he uses a few different tricks. But because there just isn't a full band there, it sounds it sounds like most of this stuff was kind of um, not arranged in general for a full band, but written for solo performances. And then maybe they're making attempts to flesh it out. So I I see the different ways that he's attempting to make things keep things interested, um, and I just think this one works in particular because the lyrics are pretty inspired and because of those that sort of weird canned string arrangement i think that does a lot to make this feel special uh or it feels like a moment when those strings come um yeah uh i i could see that so, well so I, I know i feel like i know the strings that you're referring to there's also sort of like what sounds like a toy piano a little bit uh um and, and i think the sort of interplay between those things is uh, a nice and sort of gentle moment. It feels like um, something you could uh, something you could hear. Uh, uh, well, there's something really... around a fire. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Moncolate, a... your Moncolate is ready, Greg. Right, right, right. Yes, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I know that's. <laughs> I know that's probably like. That's me. That's a mean way to say something nice. And what I would rather say is something. Nice without the joke. I think no, this is pretty good. Yeah, I, I, it's tough because because part of the broad thing that, theme that I'm getting at, and what I wondered before we we did this is like in uh, what is this album like 2003 or something? Yeah, uh, so this one was 05, and the next uh, one's 05. 06. Okay, I, in 2005, I think like putting out a Starbucksy album was like probably fresh enough. Uh, but now in in an, uh, like a post. Uh, sort of yeah. like new pop era. I don't know. I don't know what you'd call this era of music, like where like production has become so vast because of the accessibility of production. Um, what? How, how does? Uh, how, how can a man and a guitar be interesting anymore? Well, I think it's almost as if um, you know. I noticed this that like in o one and o two and o three, you're starting to get like. For the first few years of the 2000s, you get like the first and second record from some of the bigger indie stars, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Interpol and the Strokes, and they're all like pretty great. And then much like after, like in the 90s, after Nevermind and and 10 and Siamese Dream came out, um, there was this moment of, of like this sort of very vital kind of independent minded alternative moment. And then there's like this sea of softer versions of that, that sort of infiltrate <laughs> sort of adult contemporary radio. And I think, uh, 
you see a similar kind of thing in the 2000s a little bit where you got this kind of garagey stuff that breaks through that sort of like paves the paves the landing for some stuff and then you start to get kind of softer stuff like arcade fire coming in and by i think probably the best year to look at if if you're if you're into that side of of the music that would that would sort of become you know 10 years later people would still be doing versions of it in the top 40 uh but uh, 07 is really the year when there's just a sea of uh, like feist is probably the biggest mm-hmm. one this sort of like very pleasant very like unoffensive very sweet sounding kind of uh uh it's just like we're i i can tell we're going to be friends like version 1 2 3 4 it, that's the whole template you know these kind of sweet childlike um things with kind of gang vocals um, and so where does this record, well, this record, it, it's not quite 07 yet. Okay. This is just a little bit before it, that, and it, but it's post arcade fire, but it's like it's a like, softer side of indie sort of rising up through the ranks of the pitchfork stuff. But I think I, I, I'm less familiar with Feist. Uh, so I, I guess my point of reference, I think you're kind of getting it, albeit a little bit later is like, um, the Lumineers. Like I find the Lumineers to be sort of like, uh, yeah. uh, sterile comparatively, I guess. I Quite a bit later, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, but I feel like that Ho Hey song might have been like 2011. I don't know. I guess it's four more years after t- 2007. Um, right. Uh, Bony yeah. Bear uh, was 2009. Uh, the Four Emma album, I think. Um, the big one, the Million Seller. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I. Uh, I appreciate that it's not uh, as sterile, but I do also think that there's still sort of um, moments that keep things interesting. It's funny that we started in the, in the middle of the album, but b- because it comes uh, after, I'm curious if you thought that four hours in Washington was enough, like sad song or something interesting that it it got you back. Well, I was. Th- that's so funny. You read my mind because I was going to talk about Big Boat and four hours in Washington as being like some of the, you know, as as much as a lot of this stuff sounds pretty uh, like NPR core. Uh, Big Boat and Four Hours in Washington, are they pick up the pace a little bit, which shows me that despite the fact that these aren't great songs, it shows me that he knows that like, he can't just do the same thing for the entire record. And he does do instrumentals as well, some of which are kind of interesting. Um, but like, for example, Four Hours in Washington has kind of like a, minor key rockabilly vibe or um i mean i, I don't know if this is on pc but it kind of reminds me of like jewish folk music or something Klezmer. it's got the Klezmer, thank you yeah um and it's it's got kind of like a late period tom waits like <laughs> this guy may or may not be a fan of tom waits music because he there's one song that recalls early tom waits and one song here that recalls late tom waits um it's got this kind of weariness and and it seems to be a song about insomnia and it i wouldn't say it quite sounds feverish like he never gets above a dull roar but i i would say like it's refreshing in the context of the project um i think he in, on the next record we're going to talk about does a better version of some of this mm. um but i i think this was refreshing and i thought big boat as well which had some super heavy flashy drum fills it was more or less like an early rock and roll piano song, like uh, like Little Richard or something, played by a guy on like Downers. <laughs> um, 
it's got a walking bass line. It's got like female harmonies, um, and and female backing vocals, not just like, um, like stepwise stuff. Like they're doing different kind of like R and B inspired backing vocal things. So I would say both of those I felt like they were important songs, even if I felt like I'm not sure if they're super memorable, but like they they sort of like mix things up. Well, so. I think Big Boat was uh, decent, uh, a little bit more conventional though. It's sort of like a yeah, like a like a bluesy sing along. Yep. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but uh, but I guess the the reason Four Hours in Washington of, of the two that you've mentioned uh, is more interesting to me is because it's like it's almost like a very forceful sort of like probably as close as M Ward's ever going to get to rap. Uh, is is like sure his vocal like del- a faster delivery, not yeah. so like legato kind of. Yeah. Right. And uh yeah, there there's something sort of very uh, like it's like stumbling forward like in perpetual motion. Um and it it does remind me um sort of in cadence like it, it reminds me like a faster version of a uh, sad sad song. Um And this is one of the few moments on the record that's has any kind of di- like prominent dissonance. The piano playing gets pretty dissonant in places, which is nice. Yeah, I think that not so polite, and I think that's really what I'm longing for on the record. Because I would say songs like "Radio Campaign," Paul's song, "Sweethearts on Parade," um, like "One Way Life," and to a lesser extent, "I'll Be Your Bird." Um, like, for example, th- these these all kind of make up the heart of the record. I think, and like it, this is kind of the meat of like what's here. This is like. They're all kind of cut from the same kind of cloth. Um, they have different, different kind of, different kind of flavors. Like for example, Radio Campaign is a little more country flavored. Um, like there's a Hawaiian pedal steel in Paul's song. Uh, there's some kind of cool like minor four, uh, minor four chords on Sweethearts on Parade. Um, but uh, a lot of these songs deal with kind of we- we- weariness and alienation and anxiety and, 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 and often in the context of like romantic longing, I, I, I get, I get, get that feeling like, for example, Sweethearts on Parade is mostly about like everybody else is in love and I'm all alone. And as much as, I, I mean, it's got some nice touches, like there's an, a lead guitar on top of his kind of strummed stuff. Um, which I dug, uh, and One Way Life. That's another one that has that kind of Tim Pan Alley 1920s feel. Um, but I gotta say, like, not super outstanding. All very competent, but not a lot of life to it. To be honest with you, um, a bit gets a bit kind of like kind of sterile, maybe on some level. Like uh, I, I appreciate that they're doing stuff with the production to try and mix it up and keep each one distinct, but they all kind of tend to bleed together. I would point out that I'll be your bird. I can't decide if this is like really dumb or <laughs> like really profound, and I'm leaning towards really dumb. Um, the, the, it seems to be a song about like um, acceptance and and forbidden love. Uh, and he's sort of telling his his lover that like he accepts her for what she is, even even if it seems like their relationship is maybe secret or on the down low. Um, that's just my interpretation of it. 
but the the line "I'll be your bird" is it, just a dumb rhyme, I think. And everything else about the song is kind of cool. Like most of these songs kind of have like folk and blues changes, but this one has kind of a drone note, which is refreshing in the context of so much acoustic guitar music. So it was just kind of like that kind of, I wasn't sure how I felt about that and I'm not sure I still do. How did you feel about I'll Be Your Bird? Um, uh, do you have any meaningful feelings that are distinct from any of the other songs I mentioned about this one? Yeah, I think it's just kind of hard to move past the like, it sounds like one line just broke the whole thing down for you. More or less, yeah. <laughs> the, the rest of it's so good though, so I don't know. Um, I, I, I like the sort of tin, tin, pan, uh, like tin can vocals, uh, that are going on. Um, uh, it had, I don't know what it's, it sounds like he's doing it in like one of those old vinyl recording booths that like Jack yeah. has at, uh, third man studios. So, um, there's something sort of charming about it, like a, a, like a demo quality. Um, I don't know, like the, uh, I, I guess to say it doesn't ruin it for me, the, the bird thing. Um, I guess the only thing is like <laughs> uh there's not a lot going on outside of like uh, uh you know it it's not there's not like a a wealth of um other people playing or anything on it there's you know it's, yeah to not it doesn't have a lot going on so it's like one of those songs that's um pleasant but <clears throat> were there any of these these sort of uh, songs that you were more charitable or less charitable to, or did they all kind of did you more or less land in the same place I did that they were competent and but maybe maybe less less remarkable, or did you have a different take on yeah, that? Uh, yeah, I mean, remarkable is a tough word to work with because again, it's like 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 if we put a certain limited in- instrumentation in front of someone. And say, make something remarkable out of this in 2005. Uh, that well, it comes will, that down will, to what the definition of the word "it" is. Is that what you're? <laughs> no, no, no. But like, but again, like, I, I just it's tough with this because we're we're it's this is 2005. We're looking at it in 2022. Yes. And I just think that there's just too many interesting things that have happened in in experimentation and again with the accessibility production that that. Uh, I think make something like this a little bit harder to judge. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to be more charitable overall because there's, again, there's nothing to the same point you made. There's nothing offensive or, or, or like, I mean, I guess maybe other than the, I'll be your bird thing, but <laughs> uh, there's not, there's nothing in here that's like, that's like alienating or, uh, or, or like silly or, um, Nobody's ever going to say like, wow, M Ward really sold out on that album. No. Um, well, let me ask you this. Moving, moving along a little bit, there, there are three different instrumentals on the record, two of which that are more classical tinged and one of which that, uh, that has a different feel to it, uh, maybe a, a little bit more rockabilly vibe. Um, you Still Believe in Me, which is the opener on the record and the closer on the record, Well-Tempered Clavier, which... I, I believe is a a a acoustic guitar rendition of a Bach. Uh, how did you feel about the instrumental portions? Did you feel like this was more or less uh, a nice addition to the record, or did it feel like a little extra? 
<laughs> well, okay, one I don't think that you had mentioned, or if you did, it was I missed it. Was regeneration number the, one? Yep. Yeah, regeneration number one. Uh, that uh, was so unlike everything else. I mean, granted, it's in that middle portion of the album, which I think that you and I are going to agree is better than the beginning or end. Um, but, uh, regeneration had, uh, a lot of instrumentation going on. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost like, uh, if you had like all these folk artists in a room and you're like, okay, now it's time to rock. And they're like, oh, okay. I've done that before. Back in high school, I used to rock. Yeah. I recall rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there's something kind of like charming about that. Uh, just, um, it's very short. Yeah. Which- that one is. Yeah. And a lot of these songs are short, so nothing ever really like overstays its welcome necessarily. Well, yeah, uh, this is a 16-track album on the original cut, and it's only 43 minutes. I mean, that's pretty wild to me. So things just kind of go by. I think Regeneration might be less than a minute. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not like you get sick of it. It's not overbearing. It might be a little unfocused in places, just based on like, or it might just be that those are the changes. I mostly. When I was listening to the changes, I was thinking like, where the fuck is this going? Like, but they were, it, the, the lead playing was pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't need instrumentals. Uh, I, well, I, I guess of the three, I would say Regeneration probably is... The best one. Yes. Um, and honestly, I don't know too many indie musicians who could play well-tempered clavier on acoustic guitar nearly as well as this guy did. Just a question of like, does that have any redeeming like value to you? Like, do I need a classical guitar piece? Is that what I came to this kind of record for? Yeah. But it is very impressive how well it's played on the record. And if he's the one playing it, like that's off. I just don't know. I don't, I don't think Colonel Obers could. Have. Uh, he does other things, but yeah, anyway. No, I mean, maybe he could. I don't know that he would. Because uh, there, there's, as an aside, there's some Conor Obers does, picking did, songs that did, are pretty good. Uh, reinterpret uh, Ode to Joy famously. Well, yeah, okay, that's a good point, too. Yeah, there's a song by Conor Obers called Lenders in the Temple that's got some pretty wild finger picking. But, um, um, uh, but I do want to talk about there's just a few songs on here that I think are. are more or less whack. Well, um, let, let, let me let, let me finish though with the the this uh, instrumental thing. And this is something I okay. Well, uh, to, pulling out to a broader point. Okay. I wonder if they're they're included because there's some degree of concept or or theme in in the development of his writing of this album, um, where he felt that they belonged. Because sometimes I think that like you and I, uh, um, uh, and for obvious reasons, we'll listen to an album as like a, a collection of songs. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for, the, for them, it might be like a project, like which has some sort of cohesive element. Um, like w- when I listened to um, the, the closer, I didn't know that it was a Bach thing, but um, it sounded to me like the sort of like end of a movie or something. Um. I, I wonder, uh, it, I guess it's possible that, is it vital to the collection of songs? Maybe not. Uh, is it vital to his vision? He might argue that case. And do, do you think that would be a fair point? I, yes, I think that, and, and again, don't get me wrong, they sound great. They're not like bad. 
um, like it, they they sound very very competent, and I could I could envision hearing this as a collection, and like uh, having these kind of bookends. That is a nice way to sort of like give this more more of a an arc, you know, to give it something other than just more strummed along or finger picked songs. And they are very short, so I could I could foresee that artistically that might be part of his project. Just something interesting to think about. Like I, I mean, um, maybe someday we'll talk about um, that Decemberist album with "Wanting Comes in Waves," uh, which is quite clearly like a play. But this one kind of feels like it sometimes. Like there, like there must be like a. It's almost like a backing narrative to maybe like a stronger narrative. Maybe it's the mono myth. Well, if I was gonna pick apart like what the record's about, you know, um, there's a, it's a lot about loneliness and isolation. There are songs about being isolated, seemingly in day to day life, and there seem to be songs about being isolated while traveling, presumably while on the road. Um, like for example, Paul's song seems to be very much like a time honored road song about how every town is the same, and that. It, it kind of a, a certain sort of cynicism about that. How every place he goes is the same and not great. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are these songs about how the only things keeping him company are his record collection. But then there are these intense feelings of romantic longing that seem to pervade places. Um, uh, you know, uh, songs like "I'll Be Your Bird," um, songs like "One Li One Life Way." Um, so. This is all pretty, like, I think what's interesting about the record, and maybe this maybe this is more or less a broader feel I have about it, it might be the case that, like, um, it's, it's not quite fire and not quite ice. That it just kind of falls in between two things, and not every record needs to be, you know, a uh, plastic on all band, like a bloodletting of emotion. You know, mm. not every diaristic acoustic, you know, or stripped down piece of music needs to be life or death, but it might, it, that might be part of either the charm or to the, to the detriment record that, um, the stakes are not necessarily like, I'm not going to make it. It's more <laughs> like, it's more like, um, I'm going to make it and as sort of like a, a deep sigh afterwards. You know, yeah, that's like, a, just sort of. It's a very interesting uh, at, autumnal music, but not quite like, like uh, suicidal, like something like Elliot Smith. You know, where it's like the the the, the stripped down nature of things can somehow somehow be a counterpoint to how like, and the prettiness can be a counterpoint to the the sort of like uh, po faced lyrics. He's he doesn't 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 seem quite that. Um, desperate. Uh, it, it just sort of um, kind of melancholy and, and, and autumnal. Yeah, that is an, a, a very interesting observation because as you say that, that it, it really comes together. Like if these same arrangements were played by Connor Oberst, one of his good friends, um, it would be about uh, uh, Christ on a cross and uh, the arc of time and uh, uh, doing drugs at some uh, someone's house and then crushing under the weight of their insecurities and you know just like yeah and there's something drama there's something yeah. sort of 
and again, I'm a huge fan of Connor Oberst and that sort of stuff, but, but what strikes me as very different and what you're getting at is like, it's just not as, uh, exhausting. <laughs> like sometimes, yes, like, uh, that is a good way to put it. And, uh, it's, uh, a, a, a little bit of a relief to hear someone say like, you know, like how you doing? And, and maybe with a folksy album, uh, in that area, you might hear like, everything's fucked, man. We're all fucked. Uh, but he's saying like, you know, can't complain, I guess. I mean, I could, I guess. but I won't. That's where I, I can't complain, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, the, but there's something sort of, uh, uh, also liberating about that too, because I always, it, it, when I'm writing songs, sometimes like if I'm thinking about like, if I, if I have a sort of, um, an emotion that I want to capture. Like nobody says like, I want to capture a sigh or at least I certainly don't. Uh, and the pressure to like come up with something like really profound and really deep and meaningful and whatever emotion it is, it's like very powerful. Uh, there's, there's something uh, again, liberating about uh, just saying like, you, you can kind of like vibe. You can just put a vibe out there. Uh, and I think he's doing a, a pretty decent proof of concept for how that could work uh, with this record. Um, there were a few on there, like Deep Dark Well, I thought was more or less shit. Um, but mostly just because I think the, the lyrics are, are, are whack. It just kind of repeats the same phrase over and over again. And I didn't find it like uh, gained any resonance from repetition. And then I wasn't quite into Here Comes the Sun again, although that, that is a funny idea for a song. <laughs> um, uh, oh, Take Me Back was just like more forgettable than the others because it was kind of a early blues or folk homage. Um, but um, I don't think any of those songs really changed my view of the record as, as a whole. Um, Lullaby in Exile, though, was a, a favorite of mine. Really? But maybe you can walk me through what it was about that one. It's got kind of a shuffle rhythm. It's got a fairly sweet piano line. It comes at the end of the record before the instrumental. And it does have a guitar solo, which is a nice touch. Was there something in particular, or it was just like this one tasted sweeter than yeah, the others around? Yeah. Uh it, it, it just came together. I, I, I think that sometimes in an effort to make things a little bit more interesting yet analog, there are the songs that sound like they come to a tin can or like maybe there's uh, some sort of like genre bending uh, or, or pastiche or whatever it might be. But this is probably like, uh, like if I was to say like, here's a, an M Ward song that does a fair bit, uh, but also isn't like off his you know, it's like not uh, not novel either. It's like the like. Uh, does, does that make sense? It's like there, there's a fair bit going on, but it's not uh, outside of. Uh, you know, it's not like it is this novelty track that's trying to do jazz or something else. It's just competent without um, yeah. needing to dress itself up. Sure. Right. Well, I will say this. As much as I had sort of damning with faint praise, I sort of damned the last one with faint praise a little bit. Um, I think I have almost entirely good things to say about post-war. Cool. Um, 
I had heard that this record was supposed to,、uh, you know, I listened to、uh, Think Outside the Box set where they talk about you know, Garth Brooks and they go through his discography or Shania <laughs> Twain or, or Insane Clown Posse,、uh, sort of artists who wouldn't normally get that kind of treatment. And、uh, oftentimes there's a, there's a fair bit of scoffing at the you know, terribleness of, or the silliness of things. And they would posit that, are, like, you know, if you want to listen to something like the real, real music, they, they would. I remember once them mentioning, one of the guys mentioning M. Ward's post war, and I thought, like, really? <laughs> That guy? He's, he's going to tell us what it's like to be alive in America in 2006. But more or less, yeah,、uh, I think that's what it is. <laughs> it's really that good.、Um, Starts off with a, a couple of real home runs.、Uh, Poison Cup, which has this sort of slow build arrangement. It seems to be a song about almost like complete infatuation. It almost sounds like he's、um, like that, that song Spoonful. Like it may be a spoonful of water, it might be a spoon. It almost seems like he's doing a play on that sort of lyric idea. But He's more or less saying, like,、uh, he's, he's totally infatuated with you and you're all he wants. And suddenly we get a totally different kind of production almost from the get go. We get this sweeping orchestra and these, like, pretty, like, driving drums. And he does, like, a complete octave jump in his vocals. Like, he starts out super mellow. And then when the drums come in, he jumps an entire octave into his, like, his, like, head voice. And it's, it's kind of a strain on him. You can see he's kind of fighting with it a little bit. And it just, it's just an overwhelming song, I think. And, and not overwhelming as in like Between the Bars by Elliot Smith, where it's like, oh my God. It's more overwhelming, like, like, like there's this gratitude and, and this quality of like, um, like, Reckless abandon to it. I, I don't know. It, it just it sort of wells up inside you、um, in this like super、uh, emotionally manipulative way. It kind of reminds, especially with like the soaring faux string thing that's going on. I'm not sure what exactly it、yeah. is.、Uh, it reminds me of like、uh, he- Heroes by、uh, David Bowie. David Bowie, yeah. But like an M. Ward sort of like take, like if you wanted to write a song like that. Like there's, there's something sort of like,、um, sort of、uh, like soaring about it.、Uh, but like sometimes when I think of soaring, like it's like very fast, but there's something just sort of, it's almost like gliding, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know. Yes, that's a good way to put it because it, it really is pretty、uh, euphoric. The、yeah. whole thing is pretty euphoric. One or two won't do because I want it all. And a sip, a sip or a, spoon, a spoonful won't do. No, I want it all. And I hope, and I hope, hope you know what I'm thinking of. I want all your love. I need all your love.、Uh, in the hands of a lesser,、uh, less deaf songwriter, that could be fucking truly poison. <laughs> sentiments like that.、Uh, But in his hands, it feels like fucking. I don't know what to tell you. I think, I think, I think、uh, it's, it's 
the elements that are in play here should not add up to something. And, and it's an I, opener, which is always good because I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of openers have been stumbling in about half the episodes that we've talked. You know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, like the alt rock thing, where like alternative rock albums of the '90s, like you kick it off with fucking "Smells Like Teen Spirit" or "I Am One" or you know, like you kick it off with a bang. Yeah, you don't fucking like. Kick it off with like some like interlude part one. (laughs) We hope you enjoy the show. Yeah. Uh, So what what, what I think is kind of funny about that too is like sometimes I think albums they're like try not to blow their load too early. Like it's it's still like sometimes I forget that like Elephant by the White Stripes starts with Seven Nation Army. Like oh my god, that's a great example of a song that and and I'm gonna come back to. You know, the White Stripes make me ask a lot of questions about the record. Uh, in fact, I have questions about the entire proposition of it. So, uh, but before we get to that, I have to imagine that this made an impression on you. The record or, or the po- po- uh, Poison This song, Cup. Poison yeah. Cup. Yeah. Like it's I, gorgeous. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Yeah, because as we talked about, like, when we got into this, like, in offline, I wasn't... Like, I told you that I trusted your intuition when you picked the two albums. Like, I would have picked the first th- the two before this because I sure. knew them and it was going to be comfy for me. Uh, and when I listened to um, Transistor Radio, is that the, I always forget the name of the other one. Um, like, I was like, okay, yeah, it's like another M. Ward album. So, like, that's, you know, this will be fine. Uh, but then opening with this, it was like sort of. Um, woke me up a little bit and I was uh, pleasantly surprised that like this could be a, a sort of like when we listened to uh, Modest Mouse and, and uh, um, I always knew there was good songs I didn't realize it was like chock full of good songs like it's, it, it's moments like these where I'm like okay this is a gift yeah and I think to go home the second track and I keep the, keeps the ball rolling this is another like transcendent song. Um, this one seems to be about devotion and a little bit about mortality, but I would say the, the tone of this one is even more kind of triumphant than the opener poison cup. Um, this one's got piano, uh, acoustic guitar, drums, strings, harmonies. Uh, it's got this gigantic buildup that it, it, it cycles through a few times throughout the song. It's just like pounding, like every instrument's kind of pounding on every beat. Um, and it's got this sort of giant like choir of gang vocals in the chorus. It's got like this really celebratory uh, refrain that he does, like right before the kind of, it's the like false, sort of like a false ending. And then it goes back to this thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm kind of, like swept away on the qualities of of just the, the the swirl of like beautiful parts. It's so much bigger than, and it definitely recalls something like Arcade Fire's funeral, just the way that it does these kind of soaring things and the pounding. Um, what, well, and, and worth note, uh, which different about this album than the last or any of the previous albums is this time. He, 
my understanding is he's he has a band. It's like not just like uh, people in the studio for particular songs. Like they, this whole album has a band uh, to build it out. And and I do know that I really love M Ward's contributions uh, in Monsters of Folk and and she of him uh, as well. Uh, so I just wonder if like if he isn't sort of like sort of a chemical aspect where when other people get involved, it's like true chemistry, like something is created out of it that wouldn't have been created uh, in equal portions from other you know people on their own. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, it does seem to be a pretty organic like ballooning of yeah. scope. I, I wonder to to what degree like. Uh, they, I mean, I'm pretty, I don't know. I haven't, I guess I haven't had a chance to look at the credits per se. Uh, but, uh, I wonder if this was, um, a collective project with him at the helm or, um, if, uh, he just brought the songs in and they, they sort of built on it. But, uh, either way, like having the, the, uh, snare rolls and builds and to go home, um, uh, in drum solos and stuff, and hit, I don't know. It, this is a lot of fun. There's I, I, two songs in, in a good place. I, want, I just want to read this to you. Uh, I'll be true to you. Oh, yeah, you know I will. I'll be true to you forever or until I go home. <laughs> God, it's great to be alive. Okay, that shit is radioactive in the hands of most songs songwriter most of the time i feel like that, I, I feel like i, understand I can't what, imagine picking up my pen and writing that down i feel like i understand but just but like if you could really spell that out you know, like 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 uh, worst case scenario it for us well i i just it the i the difference between jolly and joyful is a is a <laughs> like an unpassable like valley so the the idea of imagine imagining like trying to encapsulate the feeling of how great it is to be alive when you actually believe that um and i'm not completely dead inside i remember what it's like (laughs) to be glad to be alive you know yeah this Uh, this certainly a good reminder uh any attempt on the part of mere mortals to encapsulate that feeling oftentimes just like you can't. And, um, it's very difficult to, in particular to, to, to like evoke joy musically. Um, just like it often ends up coming out like, like, like saccharin, like the difference between, uh, a song that makes you f- Feel the way you feel when you feel in love, and a song that just says the words "I love you." I mean, there's right. a million miles of difference between those two things. And that—that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when we were talking about the mildness of his, uh, um, uh, of his emotional takes, if you will. Uh, it's interesting yeah. that, like, he's kind of proven, like, yeah, I can, I can sing in sighs and uh, crooked smiles, um, and that's fine. Uh, but then there's some pretty like elevated moments here. It's like, well, when you have to sell the bigger emotions, uh, he's got it. Um, and I, I think he does a whole lot less like musically in the song because there's so many other people that take up space. Mm. It's out of the way. 
and lets the arrangement and the band do most of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And then his job becomes using this very unique instrument he has, his voice, to try and like convey the emotion. And he doesn't need a lot of poetry to do it. Which, by and the way, doesn't, his voice is like so unmistakable. Like it's, uh, it's so, uh, it's, uh, I don't know if it's like nasally. It's like, it's like nasally without getting stuck in the grit of the, of nasally voices. It's, uh, I, I've never, a, I've never heard someone sing like It's not a great voice, this. like from a technical perspective, sure. But it's got a lot of character. I would, I would say that's very true. The it's, unmistakable, nobody else, he's not like doing a bit. It's, yeah, like- it's it's almost like uh he has like really weak lungs. <laughs> but like but but it like has found a way to make it work. I don't know. It's, it's just something about his voice. I just really like it. Like I uh if I was braver I would do my impression of him cuz uh uh I really like his vocal delivery just cuz of how bizarre it is. Um it's sort of like Bob Dylan in the sense that like you uh, I could imagine someone either likes it or they don't <laughs> because it could be uh sort of alienating in how particularly unique it is. Sure. I hear where you're going with that. It, it, I mean, it makes it feel like him. Um, uh, and another, well, did you have more on this one? No. Right, right in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think this is more or less the, the Tom Waits, uh, nod. Yeah. That is an actual great song on the record. It is or isn't? Uh, this is, it is. I think oh. it's, I think it, it recalls something like, uh, some of those kind of oompa type things that, t- um, weights might do like minor key kind of klezmer type thing mm-hmm. but it, it's an actual legit like great song with a huge chorus like a sing-along chorus and it's like it's got like some dirty distorted electric guitar on it um it's got swung double time drums like way more propulsive and convincing uh from a rhythmic point of view than than a lot of the stuff on the first record um but the chorus is like, there's a certain kind of anxiety. It's mostly a song that seems to be about anxiety. Like, I hope he's right in the head. I hope he's right in the head. Um, so there, there's it definitely after getting, uh, you know, with in the beginning of the record starts off with such doe-eyed sentiments, but conveyed in such with such conviction. This one, like tends to do a great job like zeroing in on something a little gnarly gnarlier and a little uglier um like um because i live with ghosts when i was younger and i'll live with ghosts until i go i hope he's right in the head even if he has to wrong someone i hope he's right in the head even if he has to wrong someone and i hope his guardian angel puts a gun in my like pretty gnarly like place he's coming from here and it feels like uneasy and like tense. Yeah, definitely a standout. No question for me. Any did, did you find this one compelling? Yeah, maybe a little bit less so because it, there's a sort of a country Western convention going. Um, not sure what you'd call that. I mean, you know, if, if it fits into that sort of like, um, Old that Tom Waits would make predictable. Sure. Uh, so you know, I, I guess Poison Cup and To Go Home would just like surprise me more. Uh, and that's not even necessarily a slight on Right in the Head. It's just, um, 
it just didn't connect with me quite in the same way that it did with I'll I'll take my songs with a with a chorus. Okay. Uh, uh post war the uh, title track uh Yeah. Uh this was uh like I felt like perfect timing. We had like three pretty momentous songs especially relative to M Ward. Uh and then it has a a, a beautiful electric piano kind of back to the coffee shop a little bit. But uh, yeah, but it felt like widescreen coffee shop. It felt like a Martin Scorsese filmed coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like it's got a lot of space. Like I, I don't know what the tempo is, but it, like it, it feels like it couldn't be any slower and still be on the rails. Uh, but it's like so. It's like I don't know if seventy beats a minute was too slow. It must be seventy. Um. Uh. Yeah. I, it's just a, just a vibe, as they say. It. I don't know. I don't know how to add much more to it, but just to say that uh, it is uh, interesting to see what something that maybe could have been on the previous album, but just like with a, a, a little bit of color from the band does. I agree. I like. I love that. Is that a Rhodes piano? Yeah, it's, uh, it could be that or a Whirly. I'm not sure. Uh, one sure. of the two. Well, he does this interesting thing, like in the lyric where he says, don't they love you in mysterious ways? You say, yeah, but this is now and that was then. Put a dollar in the machine. So he seems to be saying something like, uh, something, somehow uh, talking about how things are different now than they were in the past, that uh, things have, things have like changed probably for the worse. I I know when everything feels wrong and I've got hard proof in the song, I'll know when everything feels right. So honestly, there's a little bit of a dissonance and a little bit of opaqueness Kirk is trying to get across. Um, say the money just ain't what it used to be. Man, we used to tear this to tear apart this town. Put a dollar in the machine and you'll remember how. I know when something when everything feels wrong, I've got hard proof in the song. I'll know when everything I'm lucky not. Yeah, so there there seems to be sort of looking a backward looking quality to the song. And I'm not quite sure so sure what the title post war might have to do with that. Um So I have to say this one was a bit of a uh, a puzzle for me as far as how how the how the lyrics were were sort of coloring the mood. The mood is is much like a lot of his music, the mood is pr- the the tone of it is all very, st- and uh, there's nothing like off-putting. It's all very like delicious. Hmm. This could be but, uh, total projection, but I I, I kind of like almost uh, the, what I pictured in my mind was like someone who like maybe lived through in America through like World War Two, and then like they're they're you know uh, the world's a much different place after after that war and. The, you know, they're seeing like young people and they're just kind of like remembering pleasantly like how things were different and how coming past a, a major turning point in history changes the landscape uh, in sort of like a net zero way um, not necessarily that it's better or worse just that like uh, you know like I used to go there I used to do these things I knew these uh, that was what conjured in my mind Could I, I have no idea if that's even remotely the what I thought of. 
Yeah, I definitely, I thought that this song was by no means like a low light or anything, um, but the sort of uh, haziness of the of the lyric left me with more, like, left me a little unreal, which maybe is part of the package. But something like Requiem, which follows it up, would have been another real highlight for me. Um, this is a song featuring, you know, electric guitar riffs and electric guitar solo, got some great big harmonies, and it's more or less a, a sort of celebratory, affectionate, um, like, like eulogy, a song that deals with grief and death. Um, he put his trust in a higher power. He held his power like a holy grail, summoned all his faith in the lifting. It suffered all of his faith fail. His heart was stronger than a heavy metal bullet. Uh, and that's why I dedicate this song. He was a good. So each of the, each of the verses seem to have uh, sort of tell us a little more about this figure who passed away. Uh, I thought it like it, there's a nice like sweet and sour quality to the, the like mournful work, but like the the like joyousness of the the backing. Yeah, it's it. Uh, and this is a song. Uh, I I keep relating to other things, but it's just so interesting seeing the way that they cross over. It's almost like an M word version of light pollution, a song that we love so much way back when. Yeah. Uh, a, a song about sort of a memorializing someone who had a huge influence. Um, and, uh, what I find interesting about Requiem too is it's sort of like Poison Cup and Right in the Head, like where they meet, because Poison Cup is a building song, and Right in the Head has some aggression. Uh, this song builds into aggression, where he's literally shouting the lyrics, and right. uh, as hard of a guitar solo as you could ever have in an M Ward song comes in. Uh, and they're like, yeah, we did used to rock. <laughs> uh, and they, they turn up their tube screamer just a little bit. Um, Not too much. Not yeah. too much. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super great. Um, the most palatable song, I, uh, I imagine, because I, I feel like I, I, after listening to it again, I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely heard this other places. It might have been in commercials or something. Uh, Chinese translation. Um, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, this is, uh, if you could describe it, because I feel like I would continue to use the same words over and over, even though it's a standout. This one has that, uh, there's a certain kind of drumming that's done in country music, that's double-time drumming, that's not sort of like tick-tack, tick-tick-tack, tick-tack, tick-tick-tack. It's more like... It's a very. It's almost like there's a roll happening throughout the throughout yeah. the beat. I think it's. I wish I, I knew the technical name for that. I, I think it's because it's brushes and and what they sure. do what they do is like they swirl the, the brush on the rim of the snare and so it kind of keeps things rattling. So it it has yeah. that sort of and then also because it's doing the the one two one two thing. It, it's it's like a, you'll hear this in like uh, road songs because it's it sounds almost like. A, like, like a railroad, like a, like a gentle like a train. railroad train type thing, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it has that sort of like uh, my train's coming in type vibe. It's got interlocked, finger picked uh, guitars. It's got a really tasteful like lead electric guitar, and then it it seemed to be more or less a song that was full of heartbreak, uh, 
like it, dealing with themes of heartbreak, but also kind of redemption. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't have any, I, it definitely felt like another standout, like just standout after standout in the first half of this record. Um, uh, see, once I was a young fool like you, afraid to do the things that I knew I had to do, so I played an escapade just like you. I played an escapade just like you. I sailed a wild sea, climbed up a tall mountain, fed an old man, sat beneath a sapling tree. He said, now, if you got some questions, go and lay them at my feet. But my time here is brief, so I'll have to pick just three. Just three. And I said, what do you do with the pieces of a broken heart? And how can a man like me remain in the light? And if life is really as short as they say, then why is this night so long? And the sun went down and he sang me this song. So there's a, a little bit of like a, God damn, I cannot imagine writing words like that. It's, these are such open hearted sentiments. And there is almost like a fable quality to the last couple lines of that chorus. Um, like the risk of this shit coming out corny could not have been higher. Um, <laughs> it, it's a uh, sort of like boyish. It reminds me of like, uh, um, you know, like, like, a you know, kids playing with sticks and marbles type thing. Yes. Uh, I think, I think there's an innocence to, yeah. to sentiments like these. Um, it, you would expect these, to be the lyrics to a much younger man's song and a much worse song. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, that's fair. Somebody who wasn't seasoned. I think, I think interestingly enough, it is interesting to see someone uh, who could have very easily uh, sort of felt the need. Like a lot of times in Connor Ober's songs, I get the sense that anytime things get too sweet, he feels the need to sort of insert some acid in there. Like, insert a line about how he just like OD'd in the bathroom just to make sure it didn't get too pleasant. Well, even in first day of my life, he talks about like, he's like, I, I'm going to have to, uh, I'd, I'd rather work for paycheck than wait for the lottery. So I'm like, going to peace out. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's something like, uh, that w- whenever the balance gets too, too like heartwarming, like either musically or lyrically, it's time to like, step on all of my, my pedals at the same time, or <laughs> it's time to like, talk about something like dark. I it, loved you. And then of, you died. Yeah. To achieve. Yeah. Like you sing about how much you love this person. And then it's like, but now that you've died and I'm all alone, I don't know what, <laughs> how I'll go on. That's how you, like whenever you catch yourself writing a love song, that's how you fix it. Yeah. But he doesn't do that here. And he doesn't do that in any of the songs we've discussed from the first half of this record. Um, yeah, he's got a light touch, man. Uh, and he's on a roll more or less. That's, I think that's probably the best way I can put it. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, eyes on the prize, which is the next song. It's, um, uh, again, like a little bit more of a return to form. Um, it, it sounds more to me like the, uh, lullaby and exile song that you were not as interested in. Right. Um, I would agree. And so uh, I, I could see you saying like, you know, I've, I didn't need this. I've already been there. Um, you know, if, if you were listening to this album in a vacuum, um, I think it's uh, solid enough on its own. Um, but in the context of M. Ward, uh, these two albums and uh, definitely his albums before then, uh, here we are again. Well, 
as much as we review individual songs, we review albums. Mm. So we talk about the way that songs relate to an overall picture of an album. And I just think a song like this probably has a different feel after you've gotten a bunch of things that are a little more yeah. propulsive and a little more, um, like I, a little, a little, I have a much uh, nice counterpoint to what this is. But I guess of, of the first half of the album though, like post-war kind of like already went there, but like was still yeah. different enough. Uh, and again, this More is of like a piano song to yeah. this, this one's kind of a this folk song. Guitar, yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, yeah, it, 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 like again, it's, it, I think it just probably says more about the six before it than it does the seventh song. Uh, and again, to your point, yeah, it, it, um, it's uh, that there wasn't another absolutely like this. It's not a, a take two on the same album, which it could, no. which it would have been on, or take seven, you know, on the last record. Yeah, uh, magic trick uh, is. A bizarre song to me. A fake live song? Yeah, it starts with like a crowd cheering, but like in a... I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a like dumb joke. Yeah. Like uh, she's got one magic trick, just one and that's it. Oh, she disappears. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad sack sentiment, but the the sort of presentation of it is more like a joke. Um. It's like, now you see her, now you don't. You think you're going to get to know her. Well, well, you won't. She's got one magic trick, just one, and that's it. She disappears. And it's mostly, I mean, that's the whole bit. That's the whole yeah. thing. And it so it's, it's... It's like a... It reminds me of like Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, like home song, but like, uh, like a little bit too gimmicky, maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I don't... I, 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 I don't hate it, but it's just like kind of bizarre. I mean, it's it's funny. Um, uh, yeah, I think you know what you know. I could picture you like playing this at a live show. Uh, yeah, doing something like like I think if it were an actual live show and you just stare at someone like stare daggers into someone, but like with a huge smile, like it would be. It, it could be a great yeah. inside joke. Uh, but as far as like a joke for all of us on a record with a fake audience, uh, a bit of a one-off, and it's also just a chorus. It's sort of short, so yeah, uh, yeah, um, a minute forty. It's Neptune's net, another kind of. This is kind of a fifties pop rockabilly instrumental. Very short. Seems like it could be the NPR bumper music uh, track on the record. Maybe that's the point of these instruments. It's to be bumper music for like uh, Terry Gross or like uh, All Things Considered. You know, because they have that like 10 seconds of bumper. Y yeah, that makes sense. And like they got to pay for that. You know, so people got to make... <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I mean... Forget, until she and him, this guy didn't have a lot of like steady <laughs> income. You know? His number one job was being Connor's friend. Taking residuals on a cover is from a B, B uh, from a, um, get in where you fit in, right? Um, roller coaster is pretty dope. Um, this, this is more or less a song about lust. This seems to be very much a song about sex and infatuation and lust, but the tone of it is like light and dreamy. 
again, a nice kind of blend of sentiment and musical presentation. Um, there's definitely nothing else quite like it on the record. Uh, it has maybe a more of an old timey feel. Um, you're like a roller coaster. You got heavy metal wings. You could make a dead man scream. You're like a roller coaster. Roller coaster. We was the best of times. Roller coaster. We was the worst of times too because you lift me up so high, high, high. It's an unbelievable ride. Am I making this up that this song sounds like a song about uh, intercourse or sex? I don't know. He's so un- uh, unoffensive. It's hard to read that into it, uh, even though it probably is. I, mean, I guess I, I, I don't. I didn't listen with that. Uh, uh, um, yeah, maybe I'm projecting, and it's just about the highs and lows of a romantic uh, relationship. Because uh, there's a little bit of it, it. What's I guess to me, what caught me is like the sonic moments, like. It, Throughout the song, it has a uh, like a bar piano. Yeah, but then every once in a while, it has this interlude of like some totally different sort of like almost like Steinway Grand playing the most beautiful little piano licks. Yeah, it's it, it uh, got this sound, kind of floaty dreaminess to it that well, I really appreciate. Well, it almost it almost sounds like it interludes with like something that like might be from like a classical piece. Um. Because uh, it does that jazz, like uh, moving up the piano and stuff. I mean, it's probably technically the same piano, but it doesn't vibe the same because it doesn't have that sort of uh, uh, dissonant detuning of that uh, that you hear in like a piano bar upright. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure what they're doing there, but whatever production trick to to, to bring it in between that that chunky piano bar vibe and then go into these like classical sweeps uh, was really interesting. Uh, and just uh, felt to me, like, it just felt like, uh, despite the fact that most of these songs have a certain buoyancy to them musically, this one thematically didn't feel, um, it felt light and kind of, um, like a refreshing on some level. It seemed to be, uh, it lacked any kind of like desperation or longing, it seemed more or less to be sort of like, um, Light to me. I, I liked it a lot. Um, today's undertaking sounded to me like a, more or less like maybe a Roy Orbison homage by the the bit and the scope the way it, it builds. Uh, yeah, it kind of reminded me of like I think is it Carol King. Um, okay. Uh, so I don't know. So the the it's sort of like uh, um. Like singer songwriter of the seventies meets uh, yep. um, uh, is that am I thinking of the right person? Yeah, she's uh, Carol King. Uh, was the Anne Murray uh, writer that's, of? That's who I was thinking of. Anne Murray, right? I don't know. A mighty voice from out of the clouds. To me, unannounced, today's undertaking. He's going to build a song. Oh, a mighty voice from out the clouds to me announced today's undertaking. He said, go build a song 40 heartbeats long and sacrifice it for your love. And so this one comes from high above. I guess the lyric uh, seemed to be like uh, nodding to the biblical story of of Isaac. 
Um, but more or less, it seemed like a song about like, like a sort of humorous take on a, a sort of love note. Um, it, there didn't seem to be any real heaviness to presentation of those sentiments. But it seemed to be a song about, like, that at least had a passing nod to the idea of sacrifice uh, and how it relates to love. Um, I thought it was pretty sweet. Um, the Closer, Afterward Rag. This is a song that uh, is more or less two songs put together. The A section is sort of a Stax Motown kind of nod. It's in 6 8 time. It's got a a nice Hammond organ in there and chimes on the snare, you know, kind of like Otis Redding or something like that. Um, and then the B section is kind of a, a blues song, but it sounds very much like a home recording. sounds Mm. like somebody with a four track. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't necessarily think this was one of the highlights on the record, but I mean, it seemed like a, like, it seemed like a nice, like the same way that I appreciated what was happening in Magic Trick, where it was like, oh, here's kind of a weird way to arrange, present something so that it doesn't sort of overlap with something else on the record. I appreciated what he was trying to do. Um, yeah, I, th- this to me sounds like I, I could see like the credits rolling during break, the yeah. second half. So it's like, a, 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 you know, it's like, a, I think that something. It sort of conjures a visual for me, um, so uh, I think it's effective in that sense. Um. I mean, I would say more or less like, sure, the first half of the record's maybe a little more exciting than the second half, but the highs are so on this record are so high that even if the second half of the record has maybe lighter material or material that's a little more familiar based on previous things he's done, like it all kind of it lends itself to a satisfying overall piece like especially something I would want to put on and listen all the way through 12 songs at at uh, 38 minutes you know and like one of them is an, a complete uh instrumental like um i think it's uh you know if you're looking for a deal it's a good deal a pretty tight record uh not a lot i can think to change and well more or less what this record made me think of, and what I really want to know is why a record as good as this one, which I think I can't think of a lot of records that are up here with this, other than records that everybody would already know, like Arcade Fire's Funeral, something like that, or maybe um, that that two thousand five Bright Eyes record uh, that we discussed, the big one, Wide Awake, uh, yeah. Yeah, and this record is more or less is a well-regarded record that didn't sell any records. Um, so the question is, why didn't it succeed where others were able to? Well, I mean, I have a lot of questions, and I, I want to take this on from a few points. And I think, first of all, we mostly have to say, like, like, why does this record not connect with people in the way, say, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water does? Um and I think uh, you almost have to set aside questions of like, well, nobody buys music in 2006 and there's no monoculture in the same way that there was in 1969 or 1970. So 
setting aside those questions, I want to know if part of the reason this doesn't connect is something intrinsic to indie music itself. Because I guess I know that uh, this may be a fool's errand to, to sort of attempt to understand, and it almost forces someone like you or I to try and imagine what records would sound like if we had never heard indie rock records. Um, is it, and I guess some of the, my, the questions I had just personally were like, is it because the production is too ugly? Is this off-putting in a, in a way, you know, uh, independent records aren't made the same way, say a major label record would have been made in the 60s, 70s, or, the, or, or what have you. Uh, but I don't think these records are particularly ugly. Um, uh, is it particularly obtuse? Um, I think there are moments of obtuseness from this, but one of the defining characteristics that we just talked about is how open-hearted most of the lyrics are. Like, I love you, I need you, I'm never going to leave you. Hmm. Like, this is what it's like to feel alive. Sentiments like that. So, I don't think it's that. Um, well, I think it's kind of... Uh, my intuition is that um, there's like... This is like really good crafting and really honest and bare. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of great... I don't have any like negative notes. The problem, I, I think, if anything, uh, artistically, is that it doesn't... Uh, it's just it, it doesn't have the edge and the risk that something like Wide Awake has. Like Wide Awake, like uh, you know, it's not that I have an album that's as nearly as successful, but like Wide Awake uses a lot of templating and then uses the rawness of Connor Oberst to make it more interesting. Because uh, I mean, it's like a what like eleven country songs, uh, including like Ode to Joy, um, right? So. Uh, the difference there is like what we were talking about earlier, like Connor Oberst, you know, like when he's being too sentimental, he'll, he'll talk about uh, pain or like try to throw a wrench in it. Uh, and uh, otherwise he's living and dying on every moment. Uh, kids the are melodrama. Yeah. Kids, sure. kids are pointing sticks, like their guns at him and everything. Um, sure. I, I just think that like maybe, maybe in order to really stand out, you have to be like, at risk of offending someone. So, so you think uh, it's not so much that this record is unapproachable or that it's, it's hard to, to parse or that it's too obtuse or too ugly. It's actually that it's, it's none of those things. It's actually uh, not quite, there isn't really a, a, a sort of spiciness to, to get you to t turn your head. You could just as soon walk right past it. Yeah. And not notice how good it is. Like I, I think you really have to give like we we gave it some time and some consideration, uh, and you like look lyrics and all these other things. If you're at a Starbucks and someone had said, you know, in, in two thousand six said, Hey, you know, M War's got a good album out and you saw two albums on the shelf at a Starbucks, which they used to sell CDs. I don't know if they still do. Probably not. Uh no, they used to sell Sonic Youth's greatest hits. <laughs> Not that Sonic Youth has any great great hits, but Starbucks <laughs> did put out a best of compilation for Sonic Youth. Yeah, which is shocking. 
<laughs> but they also had things like Nelly Furtado and like uh, I don't know. It's like the, it, it, uh, a collection. Alanis Morissette's acoustic rendition of uh, Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, very essential shit like that. <laughs> um, and you saw uh, Transistor Radio and Post War on there, and you just vaguely heard like, yeah, M Ward's decent, and then like you're like, oh, I, c- I could pick that up, and then you're in line, and you hear a song from Post War. Like, is it, and you, I don't know. It's just like the, the casual relationship that someone would have to have. Like, can they tell the difference on first blush, the difference between something like post-war and something like, um, uh, radio one. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like stark enough that I think it, it, it's the difference between, a, uh, an okay album and a great album. But on first blush, uh, it's like, oh, there's like a little bit more instrumentation behind them word. How do you, how does it stand out? Like, I just don't think it like really have to lend your ear to this music. Well, maybe, maybe this is what's, what's impossible. This is, this might be something that's impossible for me to replicate because this was a, when I first heard post-war, like that opening track was a first listen. Oh yeah. I got it right away. Yeah. But we're transistor radio was not that. Yeah. But that one, I could have walked right past it without knowing what I was getting. But post-war was that good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree, but I think that, like, I think this is one of the few times where it's much more meaningful that, like, or much more of a deciding factor that we're musicians listening to music with the intent to understand versus, like, the average person who's, like, just taking like, a casual glance. Like, I don't know. Uh, I just find it hard to believe that it's um, as obvious on first listen well, to, to the average to the person. casual listener there really is no difference between M Ward and and Connor Ober or M Ward and Arcade Fire those acts are basically all of the same un- level of unknowability <laughs> or the like Arcade Fire could win a Grammy and have everybody say who the fuck is Arcade Fire well like it could be like this, this it, sort of like I mean I I feel like a little bit resistant to that just because um, and granted it could have been a, a sample bias and just the people that like I gravitate towards but everybody was talking about Connor Oberst in, in school when we were in school like if they liked music at all it was Fair like enough. Uh, I, I almost feel like there was probably like some like really quiet cool kid who's like you gotta listen to post-war and I was like yeah that's that guy who hangs out with like, Connor, Connor Oberst right <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like I'll, I'll listen to Casadega thank you very much uh, I think it takes like, a special person in that time. I, I mean, I don't know. The, again, this is like a very small pond that I'm talking about, but um, it just felt like uh, again because like uh, M Ward is a little bit more pleasant. Like there's just uh, a lot more to uh, risk and and to talk about. It's you know I don't know. It's like there wasn't a way a way into the record to get you excited about giving. I can appreciate that that might be the right answer. Um, well, on our show, we do do a segment where we, uh, uh, a segment referred to as Standout Compout Dropout, where we select one track to send off and on, on up to the ages and to a first time list. And one track to. Uh, we'll start with 2005's Trend Radio, uh, Standout and Dropout. Greg. 
Uh, for me, the standout is going to be Four Hours in Washington. I'm not even so sure it's like the maybe the best song, but I thought it was the most interesting and uh, like the one that I might go back and listen to. Um, it's just uh, a little bit darker, a little bit moodier, a little bit punchier. Um, and as far as one to drop, um, mm, it, Sweethearts on Parade, like, it was sort of like, uh, it's not even offensive, it's just like I don't really, just didn't stick in it. So it's almost like yeah. so thin it's air. Well, uh, as far as a standout, I'm going to say Hi-Fi. Just because I thought it was the most pop-oriented arrangement, probably the most. Um, and as far as one to take off, I'm going to take off Deep Dark Well. Mm. I, I, I find that one ex- uh Post-war, 2006. Mm. Uh. This is tough. You know, I, I, I did like Poison Cup uh, before you said it, but the way that you described it like hyped me up so much that uh, you got me even more excited about it. Um, yeah, I think like Poison Cup, final answer. <laughs> um, and, and then as far as one that I would drop, um, uh, I really didn't care at all about uh, Today's undertaking. Okay. Uh, well, I probably would have taken Poison Cup too, but since did, I'm going to take To Go Home. I think it's just Poison Cup. Just as exciting, just as a just sort of soaring and triumphant. Yeah, that is one hell of a one to take off. And then one to take off. I'm going to take off Neptune's uh, likable enough, but there's really nothing else on here. All the. So, you have been listening to Down on High. We will be back next week with two more records or cultural products.